Thanks for joining us today. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in equipping you to connect, grow, serve, and go in the fullness of Christ. Please take a minute and email us your story at info at To learn more about this message and others, visit our website at sykestonfirst.org. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, this morning is Palm Sunday, and we have the palm branches uh, adorning the uh, facility and in our hands, and it's the day in which um, most churches, during our worship services, we pass them out and we, we, we wave them around and then we, um, we discard them, the palm branches. However, uh, some of the Lenten traditions uh, of the Catholic Church would be that they would have collected their palm branches after Palm Sunday and they would have saved them and they would save them and then they would burn them and then the following year on Ash Wednesday, the ashes of those palm branches would be what they would put on the, the foreheads. But in most of our traditions, we will just um, pretty much discard these today. We'll wave them during a song or two, and, and that's it. And I want to get in this morning to the purpose of, of Palm Sunday to a deeper level. Um, Palm Sunday is the day in which Jesus declares himself Messiah. He declares himself Messiah on that day. He declares himself. Now, he, he has known and he has, made, uh, he has made allusions to the fact he has healed sick. He has, he has raised dead. He has, he has done some pretty amazing things. He's turned water into wine all the way to raising the dead during his time here on earth. But in this moment, he declares himself Messiah. He declares himself Savior of the world. He declares himself and he prepares himself on this day. This Palm Sunday was the day that he knew that when he declares himself Messiah, that he must prepare himself for the cross. And today is that day that we celebrate. We don't just wave these around willy-nilly, throw them away. But this is the day in which Jesus declares himself, I am the Messiah. And for us to look at this passage this morning and look into this a little more deep, I want you to grab your Bibles. Now, if you want my notes for this morning, they're in your bulletin. Or if you go to Uversion and you hit the menu button on your phone there on Uversion, if you have that app, and then you click on events, you're going to see a logo that says Sykes and First Assembly of God. Hit that, and my notes will be right there on your phone or your device of whatever uh, your choice there is. But this morning, one way or another, I want you to click with me or flip with me, okay? I want you to have your Bibles. We're going to do a lot of Bible verses today. And uh, we're going we're gonna to look at some things today that's pretty, pretty amazing, I, I, I find in scripture. Now this day in history where Jesus comes and he, he, he rides on a donkey into Jerusalem and people wave the uh, um, palm branches and they shout Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and all that. And then we just kind of bypass this and we move on because we're busy people. But I want us to stop here today and I want us to recognize some things about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ how Palm Sunday is that day in which that he declares himself your Messiah, my Messiah. He declares himself that. So would you go with me to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Now if you're not real familiar with the scripture, if you go to Matthew and take a left, two books, you're going to have Malachi, and then right before Malachi is going to be Zechariah 9, 9. 
I want you to flip there, click there, however you get there. But I want you to look at something. It'll also be on the screen as well. But Zechariah 9.9 is a fantastic prophecy. Old Testament, this is way before the time of Christ. Zechariah 9.9. If you get there, grunt or something. And uh, it says, rejoice greatly. Just, I like that. Didn't we rejoice this morning? We sang and we rejoiced. Worship team, you know, they led us in a, in a season of rejoicing. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. And that word Zion just means worshipers, those gathered to worship. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Now understand, this is in the Old Testament. This is not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. This is in Zechariah 9.9, and you're looking at it with your own eyes. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious and coming on a great white horse, right? No. It doesn't say that at all. It says righteous and victorious, right? Lowly and riding on a donkey. Not even a donkey, on a colt full of a donkey, right? Zechariah 9.9. You see that? Now, will you turn with me to the book of Psalms? If you have your Bibles and you kind of go right to the middle, you should find Psalms about like that, okay? Right in the middle of your Bible. And Psalm 118, 24 through 26, another prophecy. Psalm 118, verses 24 through 26. The Lord has done it this very day. And then it tells us to do something. It says, let us what? Rejoice today and be glad. Are you glad today? I want to read that again. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. So go ahead once again. Let's be glad in the Lord. Let's be happy. Turn to somebody and say, I'm glad. I'm happy. Yay, I get to sit by you. Jesus is Lord. Amen. But it says then, I want you to notice an exclamation point there. Lord, save us. You see that? And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Now, this word, save us, and, and I know in our language it's two words, but in, in, the, in the Hebrew language it's a word that we get the word Hosanna from. In this verse of Scripture, they are crying Hosanna. They are saying, the Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. We see, Lord, save us. But in the Hebrews, they saw Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, grant us success from the house of the Lord. We bless you. Now, will you turn to the New Testament with me? John chapter 12. John chapter 12. This is the story in the scripture of the triumphal entry. Verse 12, John 12, verse 12. It says, The next day the great crowd had come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And here they said, they took palm branches and went to, out to meet him shouting. Say it with me. 
Now, I want you with your Bibles that have the little D's and the little E's and the little C's after. Who has a Bible like that that has a little more information in it? Anybody? In your Bible, it'll probably give a little explanation of that word Hosanna. It'll say a Hebrew expression. So they met him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, this was a worship chorus way before it was our worship chorus. They were singing this in the street. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were singing the Psalms. Psalm 118 to be exact. Jesus found a young donkey and set on it as it is written, and this is where we was in Zechariah. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written. All right, you got that? It had been written about him, and these things had been done to him. They were looking at the prophecies coming alive at that very moment. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that that he had performed sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the story. I want to pose a question this morning about the story. Why is this story so important that we stop our regularly scheduled services to have Palm Sunday? Why is this Sunday so important? Why do we have to buy palm branches every and just wave during our song? Why do we do that? Well, this morning I hope that I can answer this in a very practical way. This is a very short passage, but it's, it's related in every one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see this story told in every one of them. We see that Palm Sunday is the very first day of what we know as Passion Week. This Palm Sunday is, is, the, is an Old Testament prophecy. It, it's revealed. Palm Sunday is about the gospel of the kingdom of God coming in alignment with the heart of God. And this morning, I'd like to spend the rest of my time talking to you about the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, and what the gospel is. The word gospel literally means, and you probably can say it with me, it means good news, right? It means good news. It occurs 93 times in the Bible, but it's only found in the New Testament. There's a Greek word, and I believe I put this in in the notes this morning, and it's um, this Greek word, and you can forget about it. You don't have to remember this at all, but I want to point something out to you. It's euangelion, okay? It's, it's, um, it starts with a letter E in the English language, but it's euangelion, and it, it's where we get the equivalent of evangelist or evangel or evangelical. It's where we get that word, and that word simply means good news. The gospel is the whole purpose of Scripture. The gospel is the purpose of our existence. The gospel is good news concerning Christ as the way of salvation. The gospel points people to Jesus. There's one thing that needs to be crystal clear in our, in our, in our, our lives that there is no Hispanic gospel or no white gospel or no black gospel or no red gospel or no blue gospel. You know what I'm saying? 
There's no assembly of God gospel, Baptist gospel, Methodist gospel. There is only one gospel, the gospel that says he took my sins and was raised from the dead gospel. That's it. That's the gospel. That's what Palm Sunday is about. Jesus becoming the Messiah to push the gospel. The key to understanding the gospel is to understand the idea of such good news. How many has ever been in a situation where somebody comes to you and says, um, I've got good news and I've got bad news? Right? Anybody? Yeah? And uh, we always seem like we want the bad news first, don't we? Give me the bad news first. Because at least I have something to look forward to. Even if the good news is relatively good and not great, it's like it's still better than bad news. So this morning I'd like to ask the question about why is the gospel so important and the key to understanding the gospel and to knowing such um, good news. So I have two points today. I have good news and I have bad news. Is that okay? So we're going to start with the bad news this morning. The bad news is this. The Old Testament law was given to Israel during the time of Moses. It's known as the Mosaic Law. I'm going to draw you a picture again. The Mosaic Law. And this morning, to illustrate this, I'm just going to draw you a, a simple picture. And as you all know by now, I am not a very good artist. Okay, so we have this. Man, I should get a clap because I know how to draw a circle. Lots of circles, right? What does that look like? Good, because that was my goal. My goal was to draw a target. Because somebody's up in the balcony up there and they're going to shoot a bow and arrow through in just a moment with fire and everything. It's going to be exciting. I know this target, this, the, the law, the Mosaic law, in Scripture we hear where it says that the law and the prophets, they hang on this. And when it's talking about the law which not talking about laws like speed limits. It's really the law is understanding. It's, it's instructions. The law, the instructions, and the prophets, what they wrote. And it's very important in the Old Testament. But the law was, was kind of a rough way to go. And the law can be thought of in such a way as an as a, as a archery target, the law. This whole thing right here. This whole thing can be, if you want to think of the law in that terms. And sin is anything that falls short of, of that target. Aiming for that target. We're always aiming. See, if I was to shoot a target from back there with a, with a bow and arrow, my hopes that I would get it somewhere on the piece of paper. Um, I, you know, and, and, and there's some people that are really good, and today I'm talking in general terms. If you're a pro um, Archer, you know, um, just go with me on this. But this is a, 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 the law, what it would be like for the law. The righteous requirement of the law is so strict that no human could possibly follow it perfectly. Because, see, to understand, for us to become um, 
to be able to be in God's presence, that we don't need to be good, we need to be perfect. Well, we can't be perfect, can we? Not without help. Not without, without um, we know Jesus. The, the righteous requirement of the law is so strict that, that we will never be able to be able to consistently hit the bullseye. Despite your goodness or despite your badness, we are all in the same spiritual situation. We have all sinned, and the punishment for sin is what? Death. Paul didn't beat around the bush, did he? For the wages of sin is what? We cannot get to heaven by being good. The only way we can get to heaven is by being perfect. And we're like, "Uh, go with me on this. We are made perfect by Christ. I want want you to turn with me to Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. Click it, turn it, but go to Romans 3.23, and if you don't want to do that, it'll be on the screen. But I want to Go for a little further with this. Romans 3.23 says this, and you probably, many of you, have this memorized, and I want to point something out to you this morning that maybe you haven't seen before. Maybe you have. But it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? There's that word sinned right there is, um, is a Greek word. It's a Greek term. It's just, it's homerontano. It's, you don't have to remember that at all. And the only reason I bring it up to you is because it's important to understand homerontano, what it means. You see, in the Greek, um, in the writings of the New Testament, if you'll notice, most of the illustrations are, are sports-themed or military-themed. We have the armor of God, we, we have, we're going to run the race. If you, if you read through Scripture, you'll notice a lot of themes dealing with military and uh, dealing with sports. This word homerontano in this, in this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, is a, is a, is a sports-themed word. It's a, it's a word that, that's sports-themed. But I want, you to, I want you to point something out to you in your Bibles. Have it open where it says, for all have sinned. See that with me? And fall short of the glory of God. There is something here that if you understand grammar that is kind of odd and you wonder if God made a mistake. No, God didn't make a mistake, did he, in his word. This is what God wants us to see and how he wants us to see it. For all have sinned is past tense. See the have? It doesn't say for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. It says for all have sinned, right? And fall short. What does that mean? For all have yesterday. How many was born a sinner? How many how many's had a perfect not no sin life? None of us. We all have sinned and we fall short of God's glory every every day. This word homerontano, for all have sinned, and a lot of times when you're raised in the Bible Belt, you get told what the definitions of theology are, and we just buy into it sometime. And sin is sin, sin is rebellion against God, and for all have been bad, they've been bad like, you know, those people over there, for all have sinned, they're, you know, their sins are bad, not like my sins, but they're the bad sins, and, and no, this is, this is not what it's saying. It's not, you can throw that kind of theology out. This word homerontano is that black dot right there. 
It's an archery term. It's a sports theme. It's a sports term that said, for all have missed the mark. For all have missed the mark. And every day they miss the mark and fall short of the glory of God. That's bad news. Because in our own way, in our own strength, in our own knowledge, in our own head, our own heart, we cannot get to here by ourselves. We cannot get there. In this past and present tense verse, for all have sinned and are still falling short of God's glory. Sin must have we got sin must have somehow be removed. Sin must it needs to be paid for. We need to eradicate sin or we will never be able to be in the presence of God. Now this is where we're going to get into a lot of verses today. This is not my theology and I want you to see this. This is God's theology. The idea of theology is is it's not necessarily the study of God, it is just it's, it's, it's learning about God. And this is learning about Him and His character. And the law established that clean, the cleansing of sin, the only way that we can get to this place, the only way that we can hit the mark, it says in Hebrews 9.22, is through a bloody sacrifice of innocent life. Listen to what Hebrews says. It says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Told you it was bad news. The gospel involved Jesus' death on the cross as a sin offering to fulfill the law's righteous requirement. The law is strict. The law is stringent. The law is, is you got to hit this, not here, not here, but you got to hit this to be perfect every time. And in Romans 8, 3 and 4, it says, for what the law was powerless to do, and I want you to hear that verbiage, for what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be, what does it say? A sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to what? The Spirit. When Christ offered Himself at Calvary, the cross became the symbol for all that would believe. I want, to, I want you to look at Hebrews 10. If you can turn with me real quick to Hebrews 10, 11 through 18. It's a lengthy passage, but it's worth the effort this morning for us to read through this. Hebrews 10, 11 through 18. The work of atonement is finished now. We could say amen to that, right? The work of atonement is finished now. And that's good news. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifice, which can never take away from sin. But when the priest had offered the all-time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, 
This is the covenant I will make with them after this time, the Lord says. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts, I, say it with me, will remember no more. Amen? And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. The gospel, the good news, it involves Jesus' resurrection on the third day. Romans 4.25, it says so. It says, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Justification. What in the world does that word even mean? I love the word justification. And I love the definition of justification. Justification in the context here means just as if I never sinned. That blows my mind. When I read this verse, I get choked up. He was delivered over to death for our sins, or my sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. I don't deserve this, people. Do you? When I look back, and I know that he, he, that he, throws, he casts my sins as far as the east is from the west, and I know that he throws my sins into the sea of forgetfulness, which just simply means he remembers our sins no more. It's just as if I never sinned, but I remember. And sometimes my remembering those sins is not a bad thing because it causes me to humble myself. Because he took on my junk. He took on my stink. He took on my sins. He raised from the dead. So it was just as if I never sinned. humbling that's the good news isn't it the bad news is we have to be perfect to enter into the presence of God the law says to go into to get to heaven or to get you have to be perfect 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 but Jesus said I made you perfect <laughs> I made you perfect See, we get sometimes combined with um, our righteousness and his righteousness. Let's just put it this way. Our righteousness starts with a little r. His righteousness is a very large r. Right? Matter of fact, Isaiah says something about my righteousness. Anybody know what it says about my righteousness? It says, my righteousness is as a filthy rag. My righteousness stinks. My self-righteous attitude stinks in God's nostrils. It's only through the capital R, righteousness of Jesus, that I am made perfect. It's not through my works. It's not through my looks. It's not through my, my profession. I am made perfect through the blood of Jesus Christ, who was a spotless lamb, who took on my junk, and justified me. 
and raised himself from the dead that I can live with Christ. Enough with the bad news. You guys ready for some good news? Justification. Jesus conquered sin and death. He took care of the penalty. Now we have this good news. The fact that he offers to share that victory with us is the greatest news of all. He shares in this. Um, if you can turn to John 14, 19, I'd like to show you something. John 14, 19 says this. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. That's a resurrection power. Because I live, you will also live. The fundamentals of the gospel are written in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. And, I, you know, if you can turn over there, this is some good Bible study stuff today. The fundamentals of the gospel written in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6 is, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. That, now, understand, it says first importance. It says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then that he was buried, it says right here, Paul's words, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters in that same time, most of whom are still living. I want you to look in this verse. I want you to see this. It says, notice, the, it says first that Paul received the gospel. Okay. This is, this is the part of Palm Sunday that we got to understand. That Paul says that we receive the gospel. Our sins are forgiven, right? Our sins are forgiven. We receive the gospel and we're justified as if I never sinned. And then what does it say? And then he passed it on. The gospel. You see that? And he passed it on. This is a divine message. It's not a man-made invention. It's not, a, it's not some sort of a, a council of a church that got together and said, this is what we're going to believe. This is how it's going to be. No, this was written in red, written in blood. And, and this is something that was determined by God. It's a God-given divine message to every person. It's not some sort of an invention that we have made. And second, in this passage, I see that it, it says that the gospel is of first importance. The gospel is good news when we understand that we cannot and do not earn our salvation. You can't work for your salvation. The work of redemption and justification was completed. It was finished, finished, finished on the cross. On Good Friday this coming week, we're, we will, I challenge you to read some of these scriptures in John 19. But I want you to listen to this this morning. He, he, the work of redemption and justification was completed on the cross in, in verse 30 of John 19. When he had received the drink, and you know, of, of the vinegar wine there, Jesus said, It is finished. What? It. It. What? Salvation. Justification. It's, it, it was birth. It is finished. I have done what I came to do. It is finished. I took on that old sin. I took on that old junk. 
It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. And 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The gospel is the good news in Romans 5.10 says that we who were once enemies of God have been reconciled by the blood of Christ. We've been reconciled by the blood of Christ. And then in John 1.12 it says that we have been adopted into his family. This is good news. When I look at my life and some of the decisions I've made in my life and some of the attitudes I've had in my life and, and all the junk and I look back and I go that God looks on me as if I had never sinned. He looks on me as if I'm clean. All he sees is the blood that has washed over me. What can wash away my sin? Help me out. First John one or First John three one, this is I remember in college I had to write a paper on this, on this particular passage and for years it's meant the world to me. To so see what the great love the Father has lavished. The Father has lavished on us. I like the word lavished when people are giving me something, right? Don't you? I want to give you something today. But whenever somebody says, I'm going to lavish gifts on you, you're like, yeah. Look at this. See what great the love the Father has lavished, poured out on us, that we should be called children of God. I should be called the children of sin. But no, he says, no, 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 no. No, because of my son, you are now children of God, children of the king. What he's saying is, you are no longer slaves. You are no longer orphans. He says, come to my table. I have a place for you at my table. Your family. The gospel is good news. Romans 8, 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The Father has lavished on us love. He's poured over us love that we are now his children. We were once in the law and we had to be perfect to be in God's presence. He says, now the spotless lamb was Jesus. And he took on your sin to help to make you perfect. To make you perfect. To make you perfect. So to reject the gospel is simply to embrace the bad news. When you reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe you want the bad news last. And we have the best news that we could ever have. If you condemn yourself before God, 
That is simply a lack of faith in Jesus Christ. If you're always throwing stones at yourself, there was a group of people in, the, in that time frame of, of the New Testament. They were extremists of the, of the, of the way, really, of the, of the faith. And if one of them would have a lustful thought or a bad thought or a vengeful thought, he would throw himself into the briar patch and he would roll around in it. Maybe that will make him get his mind on pure things. Jesus, you know, saying, no, that's not what it, this is all about. God's not saying this. Look what it says in John 3. We know what John 3, 16 says, but look what it says 17 and 18. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God has given this crazy, messed up, doomed world good news. And in John chapter 12, we see Jesus coming away from a home where Jesus was just anointed with oil all over his feet. He was anointed with oil, expensive oil. Judas even scolded Jesus in that moment, and, and, and this oil was poured, and, and he, he recognized at the moment it was time. I think upon leaving that place is where we see John 12. We see him riding in on the donkey. And the people singing Psalm 118, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And today we are in that same kind of spot. Are we going to cry out Hosanna this morning? Blessed is he who comes in the name of Are we going to cry out to God in that way? Are we going to be that person? It's not necessarily um, theologically correct or incorrect what I'm getting ready to say because I wasn't there and nobody really recorded it. But this, this season of, of the Passover that they were celebrating in Jerusalem, they had a lot of travelers that came in that day, that weekend, to celebrate Passover and and so we had the psalms being sung on the streets as, as Jesus fulfills that prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. And he rides through and they sing Psalm 118. The 24 and 25 there and 26. They sing these, this song. He rides in. And I don't know if this is necessarily the truth or not, but it's something worth thinking about. That just a few days later, there was a group of people that was shouting, not Hosanna. They were shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. I don't know if it's the same people or not. Not sure. But it was in that same week that he came riding on a donkey proving the prophecy of the Old Testament that would live well into the future. And it gives us hope in a future. It gives us hope. So this Palm Sunday, you may have been trying to do good works and you keep missing the mark, you're missing the mark, missing the mark. And Jesus said, I've made it. I've made you perfect. Jesus says, let me shoot the bow and arrow for you. Right?
Let me help you hit the mark. Let me help you hit the mark. And I'm going to conclude this morning with, um, um, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And this will be in my conclusion this morning. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. However, we're actually going to look at five, 5 through 8, but I'm going to start with verse 6 when you get turned over, and then I'm going to come back to verse 5. Because verses 6 through 8 is a verse that many Christians, have they've known, they've heard, and there's been worship songs written about it, and, and so it's a familiar passage to us. So I'm going to read 6 through 8 and come back to verse 5. So it says, Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing. Let that soak in. He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And then it even repeats it. He says, even death on a cross. I want you to go back to verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same, say it with me, the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Is it up on the screens? Yeah. Can we say that a couple of times in verse 5? Say it out loud. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See, the gospel wasn't about me receiving it and then me hiding it somewhere. Now, I hide God's word in my heart that I will not sin against him, but I will not hide the gospel. Okay, I will not hide the gospel. And this morning, I make a commitment to you that I will not hide the gospel. The gospel isn't for us four and no more in this room. The gospel is for those outside of these walls that need Jesus. The gospel is for anyone who will receive him. I want to read verse 5 again. In your relationships with one another, it's not talking about just in your church. We look around and go, well, we got it pretty good here. We're good friends in this church. We're like family. It's not talking about inside of your church walls. In your relationships with one another, or it could say everybody or all, those words are used throughout Scripture, aren't they? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something he used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Would you bow your heads with me?